Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Lots of photographs of children on their first day in school uh, yesterday, uh, particularly the very small ones. They always manage to catch, don't they? The photographers will always catch a photograph of a child clinging on to a mother for dear life and a little bit of fear in the little one's eyes. Then you've got other children beaming, can't wait to get in through the school gates. This moment they have waited for all of their lives and they're just thrilled to be heading into uh, junior infants and of course for other children then it's the, the big move from primary school into secondary school and that is a big move it, it really is and, and you know I have a certain amount of sympathy for the first years this year because their last two years you know sixth class and fifth class weren't normal because of the pandemic so it's, you know, it's a big big transition for them uh, as well so we wish the best of luck to everybody returning to school more schools are opening up today and uh, tomorrow as we start the academic year and it just with many schools I think Tuesday was probably the first day I was seeing reports of school being opened and actually it was what did the 24th of August it just seems to be getting earlier and earlier in August that the children are starting to go back but I know for some of the schools they stagger so that the junior infants might be in you know for one day on their own same with the first years and that's not a bad idea rather than opening the gates and everybody all coming in at the one time so it's, and of course going into school now because of the pandemic is very different with hand sanitising and wearing a face mask and making sure classes are ventilated etc. So the best of luck to all of our students as they begin their new academic year. And talking of schools, the unvaccinated pregnant teachers still seem to be getting an amount of media attention. The education minister though sticking to her guns, she's refused to yield in the row over the return to the workplace of teachers who are up to 14 weeks pregnant and of course they can't get a vaccine in the first 14 weeks of uh, pregnancy and then if they even do then get it after the 14 uh, weeks they'll have to wait a month which will take them to 18 weeks and then another week after that so they're going to be at least 19, 20 weeks pregnant before they are fully vaccinated and that's causing an amount of nervousness among pregnant 
teachers. Public health advice has advised as a precautionary measure that pregnant teachers shouldn't get the vaccine until 14 weeks uh, gestation. And under pressure to diffuse the controversy around the guidance, Minister Foley yesterday did point out that teachers can avail of what's pregnancy-related sick leave, but they can only get pregnancy-related sick leave if their GP or their consultant recommends it. So they're going to have to have a sympathetic doctor to sign them off. Uh, People can avail of this pregnancy-related sick leave for for a variety of reasons, but as I say, they're going to need to pop to their GP or get their consultant to sign them out. And it'll be interesting to see, will many doctors agree to it? I mean, if it's just, if there's no medical reason and it's just nervousness, is that enough reason for a GP to say yes, go out on sick leave until you are able to avail of the vaccine. Now, teachers and unions very angry that being unvaccinated and pregnant is being equated to uh, sickness requiring leave. That did not go down well. I thought when I heard Minister Foley say it yesterday, I said, oh, that'll diffuse the situation. There's an opt-out for unvaccinated teachers who are nervous about going into the classroom. But no, they reacted with great fury saying pregnancy is not an illness. If a teacher takes sick leave, it means then that they're not obviously available to the school. Whereas if they work from home, the school can still have the benefit of their expertise, albeit it will be uh, remotely. So I don't know, would some schools prefer to have the teacher working remotely or would other schools say no, we're better off if you're signed out sick then we can get a sub-teacher in in, instead. So I think that will probably vary from school to school. But Minister Foley stuck to her position yesterday despite a very strongly worded statement from all three of the teachers' unions. The ASDI are involved, the INTO are involved and so are the TUI, all condemning her and her department for what what they are asking of uh, unvaccinated pregnant teachers. Minister Foley said her department had taken the best possible medical advice that was available to them in terms of how to care for staff who are pregnant. They consulted with the Institute of Obstetrics and Gynaecologists. They've consulted with the public health uh, experts. They also consulted with occupational health and all of the experts held the very same view that if you're in the early stages of pregnancy and you're not vaccinated, there's no reason why you can't go, uh, go to work. And then I thought Minister Foley made another good point as well, something I had thought about when I was looking into the unvaccinated teachers earlier on in the week, she said that, that there were many other women working in a variety of different fields, everything from women working in the supermarket, in your local corner shop, people working in hospitality, people working in factories, GPs themselves, who all happen to be pregnant and who all happen to be under the 14 weeks and can't get vaccine. And they're all, all going to work and they're all following what is the best practice Uh, advice that's out there. So she's, you know, kind of making the point, why should it be different for teachers when we ask other pregnant, unvaccinated people to go to work, which I think is a valid enough uh, point, but I don't know how that will go down with uh, teachers. Your thoughts welcomed on that, please. 1850-333-103. And the Health Minister has come out saying that the rules on attending upcoming GAA matches at Croke Park are unlikely not to change. And that was despite all of the scenes at the All-Ireland Hurling final last weekend. And a number of people came out and said, you know, following those uh, scenes uh, that 
you know, something needs to be done about the next big match, the next All-Ireland that's going to be held in a couple of weeks. But Stephen Donnelly said that some of the scenes he witnessed outside Croke Park, he said that they were cause for concern. He felt that within the stadium, the event appears to have been well run. But what he's most concerned about and what others were highlighting was the footage of what happened before the match and what happened after the match. And actually, Stephen Donnelly yesterday advised anyone who did go along to the All-Ireland hurling match and who was socialising in a high-risk way, i.e. if you were in one of the pubs around Crow Park that were very, very packed or outside drinking in very crowded situations, he is suggesting that they should actually go for a COVID-19 uh, test. Minister Donnelly appeared, though, to rule out any changes to rules and arrangements for upcoming All-Ireland finals in Coke Park. He said, given how soon the fixtures are away from going ahead, and I'm assuming tickets have already, are already have some of those tickets already been sold. The All-Ireland football final, that's down for September 11th. And then, of course, on Tuesday of this week, the Chief Medical Officer, Tony Hulham, He suggested that he would like to see only vaccinated people allowed to attend any of the large-scale events like any of the GAA matches in Coke Park. And when Tony Houlihan said that, of course, that would straight away rule out children under the age of 12. It would actually rule out a lot of children over the age of 12 as well because even though many of them have started to get vaccinated, but they won't be fully vaccinated, they won't have had their second shot, they won't have waited the week before they're deemed fully vaccinated. So if you were to go by Tony Houlihan, that would be a very different All-Ireland final. But Stephen Donnelly said, we have no reason at this moment to suggest that there would be changes either in reducing the capacity or if we suggest moving to a different model for fully vaccinated people. He did say it was safer though if large scale events were confined only to vaccinated people but he said they have no plans at the moment to change any of the matches that are scheduled to go ahead with the GAA at Crow Park. No plans to make them uh, vaccinated for vaccinated people only. And the Gardaí They've come out saying, look, we've learned lessons from the policing of the All-Ireland Hurling final last Sunday. Uh, I mean, there was a number of incidents of antisocial uh, behaviour, but I think the big one and the one that most people were talking about was the lack of social distancing around Croke Park. Drew Harris talking about this yesterday. At that, did you see that ceremony that went ahead awarding uh, bravery medals to 13 Gardaí? What an emotional event uh, that was. Anyway, he was speaking at that and he said that Gardaí are working with pubs ahead of the football semi-final. So football fe- semi-final is this Saturday, isn't it? He said licensed premises are cooperating with uh, Gardaí because he said the owners of those licensed premises, they want to run responsible premises as well and he said we're also then asking people who will be attending any of these matches to be sensible and to follow the advice that's coming like the advice that's coming from the Chief Medical Officer Gardaí of course last Sunday they ended up having to ask a number of pubs around Croke Park to close their doors and that's because they were getting reports in of dangerous behaviour and it was particularly after the final after the final whistle on the All-Ireland Hurling and they went in and they closed a number of the pubs uh, closed up for a few hours just to let people clear the area and then they were allowed uh, they were allowed to reopen after that so the guard is saying look we've learnt lessons and let's see if we can do it better next time round but to anyone who was at the match we have our own Minister Stephen Donnelly saying if you were in an area which you felt was very crowded and you were surrounded by a lot of people a lot of people who were not wearing masks not social distancing 
then he suggested she should go forward and get a test for COVID-19. And it is only going to be in the next probably 10 days that we will see if there was a spike or not directly linked to that All-Ireland final. Thank you to Michael O'Sullivan in Castletown Bear who has just sent me on the most stunning photographs taken this morning at Black Ball Head Cahar which is on the tip of the Beara Peninsula and clear blue skies the most vivid blue sky and the colour the blue of the sea it is just magnificent and for what is an international the dog day. His dog is in the garden as well. Uh, it's just stunning. Absolutely beautiful, beautiful photograph. You are truly blessed, Michael, to live in such a gorgeous area. Enjoy it, particularly on a day like uh, today. And when we were talking about the pregnant teachers and unvaccinated and how pregnant women can't get vaccinated until they're 14 weeks uh, pregnant. Listen, says Trish, I think pregnant mothers, no matter if they're teachers, or from any walk of life, I wouldn't agree with them getting vaccinated. We don't know what's in the vaccine. It could damage mother and uh, baby's life. Uh, I don't know if I agree with you on that statement, When And I would suggest to you that you take a listen or read what the Willis family are coming out with from uh, Derry. Samantha uh, Willis, who died last week um, while pregnant, having contracted the virus. Her husband has come out. He is such a strong man, even though I have to say I heard I've heard a couple of interviews with him I think the man is still in shock that he's lost his beautiful wife uh, just two weeks after giving birth to her little baby she never got to hold the baby and she died from Covid and he's come out so brave to encourage anybody out there to please get vaccinated and particularly he's saying it to pregnant women because he doesn't want any family to have to go through what he's going through at the moment and when he was talking about their other little girl who is four I think is the other little one and it was on the day that Samantha died or they got a phone call from the hospital to say you know things weren't looking good and he was trying to explain to the little girl that because she'd been in the church lighting a candle hoping that that her mummy would get better and come home uh, to her and he had to explain to the little girl that look mummy mightn't get better and that she might actually die and the little girl said no, who'll, who'll be my mummy then and uh, he was trying to explain to her that she'll always be your mummy even though that she won't be with you it was just just heartbreaking so I, I, when I'm, I would be slow to tell anyone not to get a vaccine when you read and see a story uh, like that. But of course, you are entitled uh, to your opinion. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The National Council for the Blind has just launched its Clear Our Paths campaign. It's aimed at creating a safer environment for people who are blind or vision impaired to get around independently. June Tinsley is the NCBI Head of Advocacy and Communications, and June joins me this morning. Good morning. You, June. Good morning, thanks for having me on. Oh, well, you're very welcome. It's the everyday obstacles that those of us with sight can get around that causes the major issues, doesn't it, for visually impaired people? Correct, and I suppose that's the, um, the nub of the Clear Our Paths campaign, is to put a public spotlight on these everyday items like cars parked on footpaths, overhanging branches, wheelie bins, um, bicycles parked against uh, lampposts, those kind of things, or even outdoor furniture, which we now know is 
now far more available. Um, those everyday obstacles genuinely can obstruct or sometimes cause injury to someone who's blind or vision impaired um, and can hinder them getting by safely. You mentioned the the outdoor furniture. I mean, since the we started the lifting of the COVID restrictions, a huge emphasis has gone on the outdoor summer. And, and the outdoor dining, is it presenting a lot of new problems for people who are visually impaired on routes that traditionally they would have known would have been free for them to walk? Um, I, I suppose the answer really is, is yes and no. Um, it really depends uh, because I totally understand why businesses need to uh, maximise their revenue. They've had a very difficult time. Um, so putting outdoor furniture is good for, for, from a business perspective. But I suppose from someone who's blind or vision impaired, if that outdoor furniture is not clearly cordoned off, it does mean that at times like a, a chair can be strewn across the footpath or it means that the tables and chairs are narrowing the footpath to the point where an individual has to go out onto the road and that obviously isn't safe. Um, and naturally we'd call on any customers using those outdoor furniture to ensure that any shopping bags they might have or anything like that are tucked in neatly under the table so again it doesn't cause an, an obstruction. We um, developed a kind of a, a tip sheet for businesses um, to encourage them to be a little more mindful of this issue um, and encouraging them to cordon off the area or to make sure that it, it is more um, colour contrast against their uh, pavement and their area so that it is easily identifiable for someone who is blind or vision impaired. Yeah, I mean, this is what the whole campaign, it's it's about people, you're not saying to people, you know, don't have your businesses outside, don't do your outdoor dining, you're not saying to people, don't go for a cup of coffee outside, but it's just to have an awareness of what it can mean to somebody who's visually impaired. Correct. I mean, that, that really is it in a nutshell. Um, and this is a campaign that we run every single year because members of the public just genuinely don't think of it from this perspective. And I think that's the, the value of having this campaign. Um, and what we want to do in NCBI is to make sure that everybody does feel confident to get about safely. Um, and as you can imagine from someone who's blind or vision impaired, um, if they do accidentally knock into a table or um, have their face grazed by an overhanging branch um, or end up in, in dog poo, all those kind of things are, are not only distressing, but it also means that it knocks their confidence. Um, and what we want to ensure is that people can continue to live their lives confidently. Absolutely, anyway. absolutely. And the one that bugs all of us, and we were only talking about it on the programme earlier this week, is the whole issue with a dog fouling. But for somebody using a long white cane, and you've got a really good video, I have to say, I watched it yesterday up on the NCBI webpage of that little girl. Um, this is a much bigger issue for somebody who is using Oh, uh, somebody who's visually impaired, but particularly somebody using the white cane. Correct. Um, and I suppose it, the issue with dog fouling is that um, for someone who's blind or vision impaired, they, they can't see it coming. Um, and then suddenly they're, they're in it. Um, and not only is it exceptionally disgusting, but it's really unhygienic um, to have to wipe it from your shoes or um, it can get on your hands as you try to dismantle your cane. Um, and it, it's just quite inconsiderate and uh, of the, the pet owners. So our plea would be to, to clean up after your dogs. Um, and I think Edith in our little video demonstrates very clearly um, how annoying and frustrating it, it can be. And dog fouling, we know, is uh, prevalent in all areas. It can be um, a, a public park or a neighbourhood footpath um, or a city centre or, or multiple areas. And yet the number of dog fouling fines being issued by local authorities is very, very little. 
Um, for example, in, in 2020, Cork didn't issue any dog fouling fines. And so can, can I can I state, we do have issues with dog fouling. It's not that our streets are that clean, that there didn't need to be a fine issued. OK, yeah, I mean, it is a countrywide problem, it really yeah. is. Um, and I suppose what, what we found when we looked at the, the dog fouling fines being issued, um, like in 2020, 12 local authorities didn't issue any. Um, so it, it's not really acting as a d- deterrent. So it is a, a plea to pet owners to, to change their behaviour and to be more considerate. That little girl, Edith, uh, she's only nine, who who did the video for you. God, what a confident little girl. Great, yeah. No, she's, she's fabulous. She's been working with us for um, uh, throughout her life, I suppose. Um, and I suppose the work that we provide um, with her ensures that she can develop different strategies to make sure that she can get about independently and confidently um, and fully participate in the different sports she enjoys or in school life and things like that. So, um, Or even just walk into the shop herself with her little cane and off she, off she trots. Off but she trots. Yeah, but if she is walking on a footpath, can't see dog poo, either walks in it or the cane goes right into it and then she gets to the shop and tries to pack up the cane and it's full of dog poo. It's just... Correct. So she's, I mean, she's, she's enough obstacles. She's got enough obstacles in her way without that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And she, you're not necessarily going to have baby wipes to hand to, to clean it all off and, and things like that. So, um, as I said, it, it is a, an, an additional stress on individuals who are blind and vision impaired um, that can be 100% avoided. Clean up after your dogs, please. That's, that, that is the message. And actually, talking of COVID, um, Jane, has COVID... COVID and all of the restrictions, has it impacted the lives of people who were uh, visually impaired, the people you work with at NCBI? I mean, imagine some of the lockdowns must have been quite tough. Um, very much so, I suppose. What, um, From a, a cocooning perspective and any lockdowns, certainly we, um, many of our service users ex- expressed higher levels of kind of social isolation um, and um, just feeling entirely alone. Um, and I suppose when the lockdown restrictions were easing and um, that was certainly welcomed, but things like socially distancing is, is something that an individual who's blind or vision impaired has significant difficulty with because they can't see a two metre distance. Their guide dogs, if they are a guide dog user, hasn't been trained to gauge what a two metre distance is. Yeah. So um, that certainly is a challenge. And likewise, the new... Um, floor markings in shops or not identifying where the hand sanitising stations are, all the, all those changes certainly have, have caused issues um, and challenges for people who are blind and vision impaired. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember last year actually talking with the Guide Dog Association particularly about that issue with the guide, the guide dog doesn't know what two metres is so that's where it's up to members of the public if right. you know somebody with a guide dog is approaching you for you to make sure that the two metre rule exists on behalf of the other person. Yes, it's, it's literally just giving in a little bit of extra space. Um, and as you know, when there's um, traffic light systems outside shops to, with a green light to, to go in, um, an individual who's blind or vision impaired would not be able to, to, to see that and detect that they can enter. So it's to call on the public to kind of um, encourage them to, to that they are now free to, to enter the premises yeah. or to advise them where the queue starts and those kind of things yeah. um, would certainly be... Um, beneficial. Yeah, to, to, as you say because it's all about allow, allowing somebody who is visually impaired to lead as independent a life as possible. Listen, uh, June thank you for that and uh, continue good luck with the work of NCBI and thanks for joining me. Thanks for the call. Take good, care. Good morning to you. Bye bye. June Tinsley, NCBI Head of Advocacy and Communications. 1850 John Paul taking your calls this morning if there's anything you want to share with us text or WhatsApp 0862 
103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. number of weeks ago, I spoke with my next guest who shared her story of surviving domestic violence at the hands of her first husband, Kate Noonan, who turned 50 last year, wanted to do something to give back to the organisations that helped her break free from that life of violence and help others um, and helped her to get her life back. So she decided to organise a fundraising cycle from Mizzenhead to Malinhead and to see how the cycle is going, Kate Noonan uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Kate. Hi, uh, Patricia, how are you? I'm very well and I was speaking earlier about the fact that you were coming on the programme and I was saying that the weather gods are on your side. Of all of the weeks to pick, you picked the best. Yeah, we're being blown up the country. It's just fantastic. <laughs> Tailwind all the way. It's been really, really great. So lucky. And sun on your back, I imagine. Oh, it's fantastic. Sure, we're poxed, Patricia. The yeah. sun is shining from start to finish. Let's just hope now and keep the fingers crossed we don't get a drop of rain now between here and Saturday. No, we're okay. no the weather forecast is certainly great. Loads of sunscreen, yeah. I'm hoping. Oh, definitely. We're well covered. But we have a great uh, bike tent. You know, the line, the, the timelines that you get from bikers. So we're, yeah. we're, we're well sorted there. Are they, are they different to a farmer's tan now? Well, very similar. Are they? Very similar. <laughs> OK, you, very sta- similar. you started on Tuesday. You started from Mizzen, was it? Yeah, we started on Miz- at Mizzen on the Tuesday and we hit Killarney. That was 125k. Um, and then from Killarney, we hit Doolin yesterday. That was a long one. We did 165. That was a tough one, but we all got through it. And today now, I think it's one, two, five again. A nice, nice steady cycle. Um, and we're heading for Claire Morris. So, um, yeah, it's a nice short cycle today. So, no, we're doing, we're doing great, Mar- uh, Trisha. Like, I mean, the, the crack is good. We're, we're, we haven't killed each other yet. Right. And, um, I mean, I must say as well, like, I mean, even en route, even on the ferry tar- or the Tarbot ferry, I mean, we've had people come up to us and give us 20 euros and 30 euros. It's been fantastic. The the response and the encouragement that we're getting all the way, you know, it's been amazing. How many many are with you on the cycle, Kate? There's there's 10 of us and three backup and they're all hovered now by the backup van listening into the interview. (laughs) Have a roar, guys. Say hi. <laughs> and these yeah. are all experienced cyclists, obviously. Are they? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, we're, we're we're all fantastic cyclists. There's no bother to us. Now, I, I must say as well, Patricia, we we um, we actually um, we've met a good friend on the way. Um, his name his name is Michael Torney, and he's uh, he manages uh, some hospitals in Dublin. I think it's the Bonscure Hospital in Dublin, and he's just uh, told me there that he's. Um, he's uh, uh, there's a major sponsorship that he's given us um, two and a half thousand sponsorship he's handed over to us literally and I'm just so like I could cry this minute um, for what he's done uh, for us you know we, we only met the man on Tuesday and um, and he's cycling along with us and we're absolutely enjoying life at the minute and well done say, Michael well done well done absolutely That's so I mean, generous he, a man that I didn't know like two weeks ago and for him to do that for something so important um, because, just, because yesterday yeah. like when I knew you were going to be joining me today I was I was checking up on your GoFundMe page and yeah. you'd, you'd gone well over the 3000 mark yesterday on the GoFundMe page 
Yeah, um, I, I'm over the four now, uh, Tricia, with cash donations as well. And I mean, but I mean, it's not just me, to be honest with you. I, I, I just want to say this as well. I mean, it's not, uh, they, there's two other charities involved. Um, you know, there's a, um, <laughs> you've got William Carey and Rebecca Carey, uh, father, uh, um, father and daughter. They're doing it for the Ray of Sunshine uh, Foundation. Okay. And and you've got um, Catherine O'Regan then. She's doing it for Parkinson's Research. So we're, we're all doing our bit for charities that are close to our heart, you know. And yours is, is, is Women's Aid. And mine is Women's Aid, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's, but it's... I mean, you know, it's important that we raise awareness for, for all those charities out there because they've gone through hardship during the pandemic but I mean being on your program and on your your radio Patricia has helped um, our cause so much and I really appreciate the fact that you're going to check you up on us Well that's uh, that's our our pleasure that's our pleasure and just your GoFundMe page how can people donate on the GoFundMe page? Um, Yeah I mean it's only I'm not well into technology Patricia but if they just click on my my Facebook page it's under Kate Noonan and the domestic uh, or uh, the Women's Aid um, uh, go for me just click on it I, yeah. I mean it's literally there and I'm I'm posting uh, daily reports every single evening with plenty of photographs and plenty of little videos as well we'll, play, we'll share a few um, little naughty videos that people people get up to okay keep them clean um, keep them clean Oh, we will keep them clean, definitely, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, well, I know when I went on the GoFundMe.com uh, yesterday, I just literally put in your name and, and up it popped that's with, it, with, that's all, it. with all of the of the information. And donations, I mean, that generous donation for, for Michael of 2500 yeah. is incredible. But it's all the small little donations. They are the ones that it, it all, 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 yeah. all, uh, yeah. all, all uh, amount Absolutely. up. Absolutely. It all adds up, you know. It all adds up. And I mean, I can't thank everyone enough. I mean, all the support that we're getting from everyone on the road. And I mean, I even met my dad. My dad came to Killarney uh, to do a little bit of a video and a, a few photos. And I actually stopped and gave him a hug. So I was delighted with that as well. Yeah, and, um, that's terrific. You know, and I mean, uh, you know, we've a lot of people are kind of joining us on route as well, just to say hi. And uh, and uh, and I know Michael's family, we're, we're going to meet Michael's family later on as well today. So, and have you, you know, s- have you signs on the van to say what you're up to? Or oh, absolutely, or yeah, just... yeah, yeah. We've three backup vans there now, and they're well plastered with signs, so a lot of people will see us coming and hear us coming as well. <laughs> and are motorists so. being careful about you? Because we know that not all yeah. motorists like cyclists. Yeah, I mean, look, we've we haven't run into any major problems, and right. you know, a lot of they're all being very patient. To be fair. Um, a lot of the cars, and and I find the the Arctic's and the lorries are fantastic cyclists. I mean, I, I don't know if a lot of people would agree with that, but I find them great. But you know, as a cyclist too, Patricia, we to be tough and not be bullied off the road too. You know. Yeah, everyone's but everyone's no, entitled it, it, to be we, on the road. Yeah, I mean, we're quite safe. We've got the backup car in front of us and behind us, and they they've been a terrorist. They've just kept us going. You know. And have um, you have you ever embarked on a cycle this this? Of this length, no, no, no. No. I mean, I've gone for cycling holidays with my husband the odd weekend, and I've been to France. Yeah, um, but I've never done done anything on this scale. Um, Now, I I, I, like I'd say there's a few sore muscles this morning. All right, but um, we'll get through it. All right. Yeah, the hundred and sixty-five yesterday, and then to get up and do one hundred and twenty-five today. So one hundred and twenty-five today. Today is day three. Yeah, it's it's six days, isn't it? Yeah, we finish. We finish on Saturday. Um, um, I don't know how far the cycle is now tomorrow, Tricia. To be honest with you, it's 
probably well over the hundreds anyway if my husband has anything to do with it to know but um, yeah. he, he made out the route now and he's he's keeping them all in check and keeping them all together and you know I mean no one is being left behind which is yeah. great you're, and you're, you know we're, we're, we're all different kind of cyclists you know we've leisure cyclists in the group and we've you know the semi-pros type of thing that are you know they know what they're doing so we're being well looked after which you'll, is great. You'll all be pros by the end of it. I'll, I'll, oh, te- I'll tell you that. And of course, when you when you shared so bravely shared your story uh, with us, it, yeah. I think it has impacted on so many people. But I think the one thing that came out of our, our chat, Kate, was you're living proof that someone can survive yeah. even the most yeah. violent of relationships, yeah. and that you can get your life. You know, it's not easy. Yeah. It's I mean, yeah. you you very much portray that, yeah. but you yeah. can live and lead and get get out of that desperate situation. The the, the one bit of advice that I can give to any woman that is on, you know, going through the process of breaking free is get themselves a hobby and make sure it involves fresh air. You can't be going for a walk and just looking at the simple things that you appreciate now that you couldn't appreciate back when you were in, in all that bother. I mean, I go for a walk and I go for a cycle, Patricia, and I breathe. I can actually breathe the beautiful fresh air, look out at the birds, take, get, take up a hoppy and just enjoy life. Enjoy life again because you can. And as you say, I'm living proof and I'm so proud of myself for doing it. And I'm so proud of the gang that are joined me on my journey, you know, uh, whether they're donating, giving me encouragement or joining me on the cycle. They've been amazing. You well, you, you're so right to be proud because you are an, an incredible, an incredible uh, wo- a woman. And, you know, as I say, your chunk of the fundraising is, is going to uh, Women's Aid. And Kate, yeah. what to, to, to someone, I'm always conscious when, when I speak about uh, domestic yeah. violence, that there'll be somebody listening this morning who's, who's living yeah. it, who's, who's living, that yeah. is their, their reality. What do you yeah. say to them? Because to, the hardest part is making that first phone call, isn't that first reach out? I, yeah, I mean, all they just need that little bit of courage. Build it up bit by bit and just make that call, as I said to you, you know, when I first talked to you. Um, when I had your interview the last time, Patricia, I actually, uh, a lady messaged me and um, I was shocked. I, like, I was shocked uh, that I knew this woman and I had no idea the, 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 the grief that she was going through. And so I met that person. We had a beautiful, you know, lovely long uh, a coffee and a nice chat. And even reach out to somebody and talk to somebody. Find someone you trust. Have a good old chat with them. And you'll, you'll find your strength bit by bit. And you'll find that strength to eventually pick up that phone and ask for help. It, and it, it, it will happen, you know. Um, and I mean, there's plenty of posts coming up in Women's Aid where, you know, there was a lady there not so long ago that came up on Facebook that she lost her, her battle. She, she, you know, she couldn't fight anymore. She lost her battle. And, you know, she left two beautiful young children behind her. It's and it was all because of violence. It's such a hidden problem. That's it is, that's it that, is. and that's it that's is. why we need to talk about it more. And that's why yeah. what you're doing yeah. will yeah. help and will save people. You are incredible. Get back on that bike and get pedalling, <laughs> and and I'm enjoy now. and en- and enjoy and hi to the rest yeah. of the gang. You're you're fantastic, and may the, they're may a great bunch, aren't you guys? <laughs> <laughs> and may the weather gods continue to shine yeah. down on you. Uh, yeah. listen, right, thanks very much, Patricia. Take, take care. care. God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. The wonderful. 
uh, Kate uh, Noonan joining us there. She is in Kinvara in South Galway on her way to Malinhead. It's a, and you can find her GoFundMe page. As she said, you can check out on her own Facebook page, but I just put in GoFundMe, the GoFundMePage.com yesterday, put in Kate Noonan's name and up it popped. If you would like to donate, donations, no matter how small, go into the wonderful Women's Aid. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Still getting uh, texts in about scam calls like this one has just come in saying, is anybody else getting scam phone calls from an 087 number and then using what looks like your own phone number? Now, I discussed that earlier in the week on the programme. It's called Neighbour Spoofing, uh, where they use a phone number that looks like your number. And the idea is, if, if even if you did answer one of those calls, there'll be nobody at the end. It'll be a dead, the line will go dead. The idea is that, that they are trying to suck you in and that you'll ring them back and then by ringing them back you end up on one of these premium lines and it will cost you a fortune and there seems to be some psychology in the view that if you see a phone number that looks like your own phone number you are more likely to call that number back. Now I don't know where that stems from but seemingly that's what telecommunications experts are saying that the scammers are using. So again it's a scam. So whatever you do don't call them back. Yesterday when I I was off yesterday I had a a medical appointment that I had to attend as I should have said thanks to John Paul uh, for sitting in for me and from the health point of view all is good. (laughs) I'm glad to report. So anyway I was at home yesterday then doing the research and getting the stuff ready for today's programme and my phone my mobile phone again, as I've been mentioning, I got a new phone a couple of weeks ago, about two weeks ago now. And since I got the new phone, now I'm not, I don't think it's anything to do with the new phone, but since I've, because I'm, I'm still with the same company, but since I got the new phone, I seem to be getting inundated with these scam calls. And the ones that I'm getting are from in the main English phone numbers. So it's uh, the 0044 and then telephone number and I have a smartphone so it comes up on the phone where the call is coming from and they're all coming from English landlines as opposed to mobile numbers and you know Newton Abbott in England I got a load from there Um, I got a number from Leeds I got ones from Scotland but then yesterday I kept getting ones from this area that the other day I got the same flurry of them from uh, Bland Ford Forum which when I mentioned it the other day saying I'd never even heard of this place in England somebody pointed out to me that it's in Dorset I didn't even know where this place was but anyway so I was getting a flurry of those again yesterday but I'd also received some voice messages from a foreign sounding lady saying hello Patricia hello Patricia and I was saying is there somebody at the end of this phone line so anyway it rang yesterday while I was in the middle of my research and I was just sick of it so I clicked on hello <laughs> this woman that very same woman who had left the voice message saying hello Patricia I said hello how are you who are who are you and where are you from now she kept saying the name of the company it was coin something I just couldn't get the second word and I must have got her to repeat it three times so I said well what can I do for you today and she said I'm ringing to see are you interested in investing money and do you ever invest and I said straight away I said oh investments I said just speaking to the wrong person it's my husband you should be speaking to he's a fund manager and he 
invests all the time in the stock exchange. Well, I put him on to you. And she said, oh, no, 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 it is you I want to speak with. It's you I want to speak with. So I said, OK, she said, would you not like to invest? And I said, sure, why would I be doing any investing when my husband is this wonderful, successful fund manager? But would you not like to make money yourself? And I said, no, I said, my husband makes so much money on the stock exchange. Sure, he's keeping me in the life I'm accustomed to. Why would I be worried about things like that? And of course, she's quickly realised that I was making a fool of her and she hung up. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the end End of my phone calls from Bland Ford Forum in Dorset in England. I shall keep you posted. But I'm just kicking myself because I had her on speakerphone on my phone and I'm just kicking myself that I didn't have, because I had the iPad beside me, that I didn't record it because you could sense her frustration as I kept uh, acting all kind of ditzy and acting like I had loads of money and sure, why would I want to be doing anything? And I think if they ring back again, I'm going to let on that I'm totally sucked in and yes, I do want to invest. And then at the very end of the phone call, I'll say to them, I've just recently been declared bankrupt. Will that help you in any way? The only thing was, I kept her on the phone for probably about 10 minutes and you know, I got satisfaction out of knowing that at least I stopped her ringing somebody else and sucking somebody else in. Uh, So as to me, that's a new one. Hadn't come across that before where somebody literally wanted to engage with me to sell me something. And of course, the whole idea of that scam was that I would have gotten involved thinking, oh God, this is great, great way to make money. Then of course, I pass on my bank account details. And it's only when you pass on the bank account details, that's when things really start to go wrong. Or if you click one on your phone and you interact in some way that, you, that they can get access to your details are that in some way that you're through to a premium line number. Most of them are the silent calls that most people get. Certainly the ones that are coming from what looks like Irish mobile numbers are certainly the silent calls. They want you to ring back and by ringing back you then end up getting through to a premium line call. But we have just so many of them at the moment. The country is awash with these scam calls. They are beyond annoying. Beyond annoying. 1850 Hi Patricia. Firstly let me stress I am a Limerick supporter and I am a follower of GAA. The celebrations in local communities since Sunday in Limerick though is leaving a bit to be desired. Some pubs are packed well into the night. No social distancing. People are standing around the bar Dozens of people are out on the roads and on the streets. Are we going to have an explosion of cases shortly as a direct result of the All-Ireland Hurling Final on Sunday and the subsequent, according to this Limerick listener, celebrations? We can only... All we can do is wait and see. As I say, I mentioned it earlier, Stephen Donnelly has already come out and said to people, if you were particularly at the match and if you were doing any, and and I suppose we can tie in that, anyone who was doing any kind of celebration as a result of the All-Ireland win, he's come out and said they need to go forward and go for COVID-19 testing. And it will take about probably 10 days to see if we get a spike in cases that are directly attributed to the All-Ireland. That's certainly what happened in across the waters in England after they had the Euro final. And of course, when England were in the final and there was a spike in cases, but it took about 10 to 14 days to directly see the spike. And then, of course, when contact tracers got on to the people when they were confirmed positive, it was then they discovered the link that they had either been attending the match 
or a family member had been attending the match. So we, it's, it's a wait and see. Unfortunately, it's a wait and see. We're getting a report in of a collision in the square in Formoy. You're asked, pleased to uh, take care on approach. And can I just stay on road, um, road issues just to warn people in Mallow and to let people in Mallow know that there is the Mallow Bridge. There's a road closure coming into force on Mallow Bridge from 7pm, so 7 o'clock on Friday evening. And it remains in place right across the weekend and all day Monday. That road closure doesn't get lifted until 7pm on Monday night. Now, I don't know how are all of the schools back on Monday or not, because if it is, it's going to... Really cause a bit of bedlam because there's a cut. There's a few schools over the bridge that people have to travel over. Listen, there are there will be other ways uh, to get to the uh, one side of the town to the other side of town but it is going to mean delays this of course is to facilitate the boardwalk the bridge lift the installation of the boardwalk which a lot of people are very excited about so people in Mallow if you want to travel from one side of the town to the other side of the town across this uh, weekend be warned that Mallow Bridge will be uh, closed there will be a detour to traffic that will be an operation pedestrian access by the way you will be able to walk over the bridge you just won't be able to drive over so that's from 7 o'clock on Friday evening until 7 o'clock on uh, Monday uh, evening. Uh, just to give that a mention, and I'll mention it again tomorrow just to remind uh, people. Jerry in Glenville has been on wondering, has anybody else noticed anything strange about magpies? that are around at the moment. He says, firstly, he's noticed there seems to be more magpies than normal. Anybody notice that? But his bigger concern, the the magpies that are around, he says they appear more aggressive. Now, magpies can be a very aggressive bird, but he says the magpies he's witnessing at the moment, certainly where he's living in Glenville, are more aggressive than normal. He said he's watched them swooping down taking items and attacking other birds. He's never seen them so aggressive before. Has anybody else noticed it? Or is it just the magpies that are in the area of Glenville where poor old Jerry is living? 1850-333-103. And Elizabeth in Formoy was on to us wondering, had we any updates on the daycare centres, particularly the daycare centres in Formoy and when they were reopening? She says people that she knows who use those daycare centres are really lost. The daycare centres have been closed since the start of the pandemic in March of last year. And she says there's no communication going on with the people who've attend, who attend these daycare centres and they're really missing them. We we did deal with daycare centres last week on the programme. I know I put a shout out. We had very few people contacted us to say their local daycare centres were open. Some had uh, opened, but still a lot of them are remaining closed. Now, whether they're waiting for further guidelines to come from the government on the reopening of the further reopening of restrictions, and we know that we're very close now to getting the final roadmap out of Uh, coronavirus and the lifting of further restrictions. So whether some daycare centres are waiting until then. But if anybody's involved in a daycare centre in Formoy, have you any indication as to when you hope to reopen the daycare centre? Uh, Can you let us know please or give us any indication as to why you're remaining uh, closed? 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 086- 
to 103103. And Mavis responding to Jerry in Glenville on his magpies. Mavis said, We've noticed more magpies too. We're also noticing large crows. The large crows seem to be attacking small birds. Mavis said she's also seen large crows attacking baby rabbits. Yeah, large crows can be very aggressive as well. And if you feed birds in your garden, I go to great pains to try to keep the food for the little birds. But the crows, I could spend my day out running them out of the garden. It really is very difficult indeed. So Mavis, yeah, agreeing with Jerry that there does seem to be a lot more magpies. Don't know the reason. Any wildlife person can tell us why. Are there more magpies and why are they and the crows appearing to be very aggressive at the moment? Is it hunger? 1850 C103 Jobs. A bar person with a minimum of two years' experience is required, please. It's for the old fiddle bar in Mallow. General operatives are wanted, that's for Shannon Vale Foods, that's in Clonic Kilty. While a tier one customer support technician is required by a local company. And caretaker, groundskeeper, environmental worker are all wanted to work on a CE scheme. Blarney, Inniscara, Kilcolly, St Mary's FC and Muscarie RFC. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Education Minister, Norma Foley, is facing a revolt by some rural politicians over the contents of a first-year wellbeing textbook called Make a Difference. One of the topics covered is greyhound racing and it focuses on difficulties within the sport around animal cruelty. Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard is one of those not happy with how the topic is covered and he now joins me. Good morning to you Tim. Good morning to you. Now firstly just to explain to listeners, under what subject is this textbook used? It's a well-being subject so that's basically it's a book or a publication that's out to help children going to school about you know their own self-well-being and what they need to be kind of asking themselves or how they need to be interacting with society itself. So that's prime primarily where it is. It wasn't a topic there now in my day. It's all new to me. It's the, it's the CSPE, isn't that, isn't that yes, what it's called? Yeah. And everyone yeah. in first year, it's a junior cycle topic or subject. Yeah. So everyone everyone first year, second year and third year do, do this topic, do this subject. Yeah. So roughly okay. around 90,000 children do it every year and you know, it's kind of, you know, asking questions about them and society and how they feel about things, you know. Okay. Really, really good subject by by all accounts and it gets children thinking and engaging and, and whatever. So, so it's terrific. So it's the it's the chapter Making a Difference, which includes a piece called, or the book is Making a Difference, and the chapter is yes. called Going to the Dogs. What yes. part of the text do you most disagree with? I suppose when I looked at this text, it was sent on to several people, and I don't have children now in that age yet, so it was sent on, and I looked at the text, and there was a, a part of the actual text was about, you know, cutting gears, ears off dogs, and what would you do if you saw that? And I looked at the actual five or six questions, and my problem with the entire debate about this was, I've no problem people asking questions, but it has to balance. I think that was my real argument when I read it. I think, you know, the dog, dog industry has gone through its ups and downs in the last few years, but a balanced debate was what I was looking for or looking for in this actual text itself. 
And I didn't think it was balanced. And I think, you know, it showed real negative impacts of what the actual dog industry has been involved in or allegedly involved in over the last few decades. And it didn't give a true reflection of the changes, what's happening, and where the dog industry sits now in our actual psyche itself. So I just thought when I read it that if you were to have this about the dairy industry tomorrow morning, you would have all the negative issues about the dairy industry and not about the positives about what the dairy industry could do. The same could be said about other industries or other professions. So when I read this, I just thought the lack of balance was the biggest issue. I have no problem debating the issue, inside out and outside in. But we need to have a balanced debate when you put those questions before anything up to 80 or 90,000 students. Because Okay, now the, the, yeah. the, it does, just to, and, and again, because I'm very aware of it, most people won't have seen the text, the opening statement does say that greyhound racing is legal in Ireland. Many dogs seem to enjoy the chase, come to no harm, and that most dogs are well cared for. But, now that's, but that's the only positive part. It then goes on to list yes. the problems within greyhound uh, racing, things like some dogs are raced when they're not well or not fit to race, unsuccessful greyhounds are sometimes abandoned, they're even put down, and when some greyhounds become too old to race they're, they're, they're abandoned. Greyhounds bred in Ireland have green tattoo marks in both ears which I didn't know and that's to identify them. Some owners cut off the dog's yeah, ears um, when they abandon them so they, therefore they cannot be uh, identified and then they're asking the young people to discuss it and what would they do uh, to end this uh, cruelty. So do you think it could be recruiting young people to anti-blood sports groups? Ah, I think, you know, you could be, yeah, look, this is a very emotive issue both ways. I'm sure there's going to be debate one way or the other. I hope this isn't, you know, a kind of, you know, underlying activity that you're trying to promote one way or the other. I think it was an issue that the department just needs to look at. I actually don't think they fundamentally went out to actually blanket, have a view one way or the other. But unfortunately, they have. And I think you were right. The first opening statement was the only kind of positive statement in the entire thing. And the one that got me really going, and I know a, a little about, about the industry, was the issue about cutting years of the dogs themselves. Like that Are you the, saying that doesn't happen? Well, in my opinion, I've never once any dog with a year cut off, thanks to God. And I know for that all dogs are microchipped, the actual tattooing of the year is only a marking for the track itself. The microchipping is in the actual, you know, the neck itself. Every dog there can be traced by the microchip in the actual skin. So I've never in my lifetime, and I have limited experience of the dog, have seen any dog with a year uh, tampered with like that. Okay, so now like, I know Folans, uh, they're the publisher of this book, uh, Making it uh, a Difference. They've come out and defended their portrayal of greyhound uh, racing. They say the language used in the section of the greyhound racing is measured and it is, consi- uh, and it is considered. They also said widespread research was conducted when putting the together the contents of the book and they include it as part of their research. The RT investigates a running for their lives. Now Tim, all of us that watch that programme will, will know there's huge cruelty within the greyhound industry and it was there for all to see. Yeah, and like that documentary proved and showed there was issues there. It also had a timeline regarding windows when that actually happened itself. We sat for hours in Iraq just hearings going through both sides of the argument and we learned the timelines of the evidence, what happened. We also learned about the microchipping and we also learned about the new regime that's coming about in the actual dog racing industry itself. One of the people that contacted me 
was a son, or sorry, whose daughter was going to first year. And like her, his view was, will his daughter now be vilified because they have greyhounds at home? And I thought that was an issue that when I heard, I think I had to speak out because we've seen what happens with children in school. And I do not believe that to have one line of portrayal of this is appropriate. If we're to have a debate, and I have no problem with a debate, let's have it balanced. And I don't think this book gives a balanced portrayal about what's happening in the industry. Did it mention the microchipping? Did it say the actual regime of knowing exactly where the dog is going from when it was born onwards is actually in a microchip? It didn't. Like That's the kind of information that society needs to be aware of. And unfortunately, they weren't made aware of by this publication. And if you had a child who was starting first year, who was known to be walking a greyhound, how would she feel, or her feel, or him, tomorrow morning? Yeah, and and, and, fa- and people will know families that keep greyhounds. Yeah, for sure. Stay totally. there because Tony Winters, tra- oh, he's gone. Uh, Tony, if John Paul wants to get him back on. Tony trains greyhounds. Uh, he's somebody else who is, is very annoyed about it. So you feel then... The Folan saying this is measured and considered. You disagree. And you think I it totally isn't measured and considered. I and I look, my I've never owned a greyhound in my life. I'd be perfectly honest, right? Never had the only greyhound I ever walked in my life was my late mother Gerald's greyhound, right? When Gerald was dying cancer for those eighteen months, his interest in the dog kept him going. The dog wouldn't catch a cold. And we all knew that. But like it was a great interest for him. And I honestly believe having a dog, one man operation, dog and his man walking the dog on the roads, like that's something that keeps people mentally occupied too, and keeps them mentally going through troubling times. But it, but and the tech, but the text did say that most most at dogs the start only though, are yeah at the start. Okay, the stay start. there because Tony Winters wants to get involved in this. Who trains uh, greyhounds? And he's actually seen the te- you've seen the text, have you, Tony? I have, yeah. I read oh, it. I was fighting the night with it. Okay, and why? Why are you, I, Because it's all negative. Is, is that your main view? I have two views, if I could get to two of them. The first one is it's all negative. And if they wanted to be balanced, they should have put a couple of more boxes down the bottom saying about all the money just raised for charity, the way greyhounds are well-minded and all that. So I mean, the balance would have been if you help. And in the inaccuracies, what kills me completely. Such as? Well, the cutting off years, right? Yeah. I was inspected my kennels yesterday and I asked the steward, he does all of Munster and nearly all of Ireland. And I asked him how many cases of years cut off has he come across. He said there was one case maybe 20 years ago. And he said that was the only one that's ever reported them. And so if I made that statement about radio broadcasters that someone was a paedophile or a tax evader, it would not be a fair statement. And... That's terrible, that stuff put out. That's complete lies. One case in 20 years, it's just not, not balanced. Not okay, what, what about asking what happens to greyhounds when they're no longer well or fit enough to race? What happens to greyhounds when their it's racing a, life is over? It's a very good question and a question that should be asked all the time. The rehoming programme in Bob Nagun is, is after is, just thousands of dogs being rehomed and it's really taking effect and it's very effective. The days of greyhounds being discarded might be prehistoric to say I'm slapping children in national school. Them days are gone. Do greyhounds still end up in China, Irish greyhounds? No. Is that stopped? That I just went to board, Irish greyhound board won't leave anyone since they dog to China. Oh, that's, and, yeah, okay. I'm you know, glad to hear that because the, cruelty, the cruelty involved there was shocking. Shocking. And I will say one thing, that the people owning greyhounds here don't want their greyhounds going to China. 
and they don't go to China. So you say that there is a successful rehoming programme? Absolutely. Okay. It's flying. There are people 60 and 70 years of age that never heard of it before and they're doing it now. Yeah, and, and I know a friend of mine took in a greyhound. They're, they make the most magnificent pet. Well, they do. Yeah. And I've given, I've suffered loads of people with rehoming dogs and every one of them ring back and they say, the dog is beautiful, we love him. And that's the way forward for the industry, but that is the way it is going. Uh, Tim, you've got you've have you made contact with Minister Norma Foley, and, what, so, and if you have, what reaction did you get? Yeah, look, roughly, I well, I, I've written to Minister Foley. I haven't got a response yet. Look, this is August. This is you know yourself crazy times. So I haven't got a response. But I just think, I think when you have these publications, if the dog racing um, issue today, it could be the dairy industry tomorrow. It could be broadcasters the day after. I don't know where this is going. Like, we need to have an informed, balanced debate, and both sides of the arc need to be published. And I think, unfortunately, in this case, they haven't done that. Like, even if they did the line that there was 2,000 um, animals or dogs rehomed last year, I think it was nearly 2,000, that'd be the kind of information that people want to hear, you know? And I think if we had that balanced debate, I think we'd be better for society, not only for the industry, but for the entire debate about where the industry's going to go. Okay, and I'm just also been told Folans, who published uh, the book, say they are now aware of the concerns raised by the greyhound uh, industry. They're prepared to make suitable examples of good greyhound welfare part of the digital resources for teachers and uh, students, but they're not going to pull the book. Is that good enough, Tim? I don't think it is, really. I think, you know, if they can do this research and come up with, unfortunately, a, an un, uh, a biased view, they should actually do the animal thing here now and just pull the book and republish. I think that's really meaningful. To happen. But they also say they've received positive feedback from both animal welfare groups and members of the public who welcome students discussing and reviewing topics such as greyhound racing. Um, is, is that not a good point, uh, Tony? Is At least young people will be discussing greyhound racing and it might... People might get interested. I, I'd, love to, I'd love to have young people discussing greyhound racing. But if you put five scenarios and they're all bad, how could we expect anything good to come out of it? If you put ten scenarios, five bad, five good, you'll have some chance. And, like, it's just, it's, this, this is the mantra that the aunties go on with. The five of them, the poor points in the book, and what the aunties are spouting all the time. And it's amazing how that got into the book. With no positive Okay. All right. And Tim, your big worry and concern are for, and in the main, they're rural young people who families, and listen, it happens in towns as well, but it's yeah, mainly totally. in rural, but a lot of rural families will keep greyhounds. Yeah. And you're, you're afraid that they'll be targeted if this ends up as a discussion in the classroom? Well, you go take a class of 30 first years and they're going to debate this, which I hope they will, and they'll have five negative points. And Mary in the corner walks her father's greyhound every evening when she goes home. There's going to be a knock-on effect yeah, straight yeah. away. And I okay. think that just makes no logical sense. Okay, okay, listen, Tony, just, uh, Tony. Can I say one more thing? You can, more. yeah, you can. Right. In the Greyhounds, when you have a brewbitch, she's only allowed six litters in her lifetime. They're the most regulated animals in, in the world, the Greyhounds. We can only breed them six times. We must microchip them, DNA test them, and the whole lot. We are the most regulated sport in the world, but we just have an anti-brigade out there out to get us. And that is the simple Yeah, but, but but is that because there was a lot of cruelty involved in the industry? I won't deny things happened long ago, but they were near as widespread as you're saying. Okay. And they've been eliminated. And 
these folks just want to eliminate us. Okay. Okay. All right. Mind, mind yourself. That's Tony Winters who, who breeds greyhounds. And just finally, t- Tim, to you before we go, uh, just on a different topic, because I saw a press release from you landed on my desk yesterday. You're encouraging people to contribute their ideas on how we can make Ireland a better place. It's the Better Ireland initiative. Yeah, look, this is an initiative by Fine Gael for how we want to try and remould or regenerate Ireland in the next few years coming forward. We're looking for ideas, we're looking for proposals, we're looking for what society wants going forward. So we're having, you know, we're going to formulate policy over the next six or eight months and we're going to make a real kind of plank of a policy of what the actual society wants. And look, we've gone through huge changes. COVID has changed us in so many, so many ways. And I just think because of that, our policies and the policies of Ireland have to change accordingly. Like even the work at home policy. Like I was talking to a colleague of mine there lately and I'd say, do you know, 25 to 30% of all people now will be working from home. Could we have seen that three years ago? No. no, no it's a huge no. change. Huge no. change in society. And we're, we're coming out of this pandemic a very different Ireland for sure. Uh, Tim, yeah. we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Senator Tim uh, Lombard. Monica says, my daughter and son-in-law and granddaughter have a greyhound. He is the best pet you could possibly have. So there's a good ad for people to consider rehoming a, a greyhound. Ban greyhound racing, says a West Cork listener. If they underperform or get injured, it's either a one-way trip to the vet or a bullet in the head. Would we treat humans like this. I have four rescues at home all chilling on the sofa, says a West Cork listener. And Paddy says what happens to the little hares once, once they net them or dazzle them is where they're running uh, greyhounds in the wild. What we're talking about is the racing industry where live hares are not used. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie We're going to Skibbereen Garda Station where I'm joined by Sergeant Trina O'Mahony for this week's uh, Garda File. Good morning to Trina. Good morning Patricia. And we start with some thefts. The first of which occurred in the Dripsy area. That's right, uh, Patricia. The first incident there, the Gardaí at Coachford are investigating a theft that occurred in the Dripsy area. It happened between 11pm and 9am, so overnight between the 16th and 17th of August. That would have been Monday night into Tuesday morning last week. And during that incident, a trailer containing a red Y-Bang, or W-E-I-B-A-N-G, in make lawnmower, um, was taken from outside a person's home. So the Gardaí at Coachford are anxious to receive any information that anyone may have in relation to that incident. Um, maybe somebody saw a vehicle travelling, towing a trailer in the area on the night. So the trailer with the lawnmower in it? That's right. Goodness yeah. me. Yeah, so right. yeah, and that would be unusual in the small hours of the morning to see somebody with a trailer and a lawnmower. It, it certainly somebody might may stand have spotted out. something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you were travelling there, um, it, it may stand out, certainly. Okay, so it's Coachford uh, Garda Station, Ar- Armacroom. But, That's right. But a uh, timely reminder, put your garden equipment away because some, some of those lawnmowers are very expensive. They are indeed. Actually, just one thing about this lawnmower, it wasn't a ride-on lawnmower, it was a, a push lawnmower. Just okay. That may be of assistance to anyone if they saw anything. But yes, absolutely. A, a reminder to everybody, um, and this goes for us all, you know, we have been out busy in our gardens over the last few months. The weather has been good and all of that. But just, at, you know, make sure you put things away. They are um, a very desirable thing, you know, for, for any potential 
criminal who might be passing. Okay, and it could be just opportunistic. Somebody spotted it, boom, and and they're gone. Yeah. Okay, from Coachford then to Mill Street. This was something that was stolen from a van. That's right. Um, Gardaí at Mill Street are investigating this incident. It was a theft from the back of a van. It occurred overnight again between 10pm on the 19th of August and 6am on the 20th of August in the Mill Street town area. And during that incident, some builder's equipment was taken from the rear of the van. Um, This included two items in particular, a Pramac generator and a submersible Pedrolo pump. Um, these would be items that people, I suppose, in the building trade and that would be very familiar with. Um, but again, items that would be desirable for any potential criminals out there. So just another reminder to people, please lock lock your vehicles. Yeah. And, and if you can at all, remove anything of value uh, from from the back of them, even if it is you know work equipment. And even it can be inconvenienced having to do it at the end of a busy day. And we, God knows we know builders are, are really busy at the moment. Absolutely. But just to, 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 to keep your goods safe. And yes. from there we go to criminal damage and I always get annoyed when I hear about criminal damage. This happened in Bandon. That's right. Um, the Guardian Bandon are investigating this incident. This happened overnight or it's a slightly narrower time frame. In fact, it was between 3 and 3.30am on the morning of the 16th of August. So that would be Sunday night into Monday morning. And during that incident, a wing mirror of a car was pretty much knocked off um, of the side of it and damaged there. That happened in the Parnell Street area of Bandon Town. So maybe there was somebody in the area that night who saw something. Um, if so, we'd appreciate a call. I mentioned at the top of the programme that uh, the children are heading back to school, all the photographs full of uh, children on their very first day at uh, school. So the roads are starting and will get busier over the next rest of this week and into next week. That's absolutely it. Um, we'd like to wish them all the very best with the year ahead. And just to remind everyone, as you say, to be aware, particularly around school starting and finishing times of the children travelling to and from schools, um, and they, some of them, of course, might be walking around bicycles and just to take extra caution in the area around schools over the next few months. OK, there isn't a day goes by that we don't get calls and texts in about people receiving these nuisance calls and these scam calls. And I'm assuming it's the same for every guard, the station all over the country. You want to talk a little bit about this activity is increasing. We don't know why, but there seems to be so much uh, of it. You want to talk a little bit about the spoofing phone calls? That's right, Patricia. Um, t- something that has come to our attention in particular in the last number of weeks is the idea of what's being referred to as a spoofing call. So we're, we are receiving many reports from people um, every day who are receiving persistent telephone calls from numbers that appear very similar to their own or the number may appear to be that of an actual office or government agency, uh, but they turn out then to be phishing phone calls when the person actually answers the call. Um, as I said, the use of these numbers are referred to as spoofing calls, and what that means is basically the actual caller ID is deliberately changed by the caller to show a different number, and this, of course, has the effect of kind of lulling a receiving person into, certainly in the initial stages, believing that it might be a legitimate phone call that they should answer. And I suppose the advice continues to be the same, Patricia. If you pick up your phone to a call and hear a recorded message, just hang up immediately. No legitimate agency or office are going to ring you and expect you to engage, you know, with um, a voice recording. So just immediately just hang up um, and, and don't engage in any way. Don't act upon any instruction that might be given to you in any of those calls that you're receiving. Um 
I know in other cases, and I know of one in particular that happened in this area recently, uh, during which a person answered a call, but in fact there was an individual at the other end of the phone, and they purported to be from a legitimate business with whom this woman would have had business. And the lady went on to engage with a person who initially she believed, as I said, was genuine. However, as the morning went on, she became suspicious and luckily um, did so on time. She contacted her bank and prevented in excess of €7,000 being removed. Oh, that's a lot of money. Absolutely, yeah. So this is the kind of amounts that can be involved at times. Um, What happened here is the individual suggested that there was an amount owing of something, let's say, like 79.99, which would have been an, an amount that sounded reasonable in her mind. But in fact, the, what happened was the lady then went onto her computer, logged in, uh, followed instructions that were given to her by the caller. And as a result, the caller was in a position to create an account transaction from her account remotely as such. So the amount she thought being 79.99 had been changed to, we'll say, 7,999. Um, luckily, as I said, she contacted her bank as soon as she became suspicious, just before I think you know it was too late, and they were able to put a stop on that transaction. But unfortunately, that's not always going to be the case, and you know there are instances where it's too late and the money has already gone. And we've seen that, unfortunately, and we've seen it uh, locally. Yeah. You've you've got the ABC of what to do. That's right, <laughs> and I know I mentioned this before, um, but it's. It, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's the reality. Just accept absolutely nothing. If somebody rings you and you're not happy, you don't know who you're talking to and you're in any way remotely suspicious, just don't accept anything they're saying. Believe nothing and check absolutely everything. Um, and I suppose we're, we're saying this over and over, but never, ever give out any of your personal PIN codes, access codes for your bank account information and never log onto your computer at the request of an unsolicited caller Um and contact your bank immediately if you think you have been uh, exactly. sucked in and, and reported to, to the Gardaí. Yeah. But I know you're getting a lot of calls and as I say, every guard the station is uh, with people wondering, why can't the Gardaí stop these scam calls? It isn't as easy as that. I know and unfortunately, yeah, we've, I'm very conscious. It's very frustrating for people and I know how consistent it is. I've seen it with my own and heard it with my own eyes. I mean, I know people are getting calls often in the numerous within an hour, never mind a day um, from these callers. Um, but they're often operating from another continent, and so the likelihood of identifying the route of a specific call is very, very difficult. So it's just, I suppose, we may not have an immediate solution to stop the type of activity, but we can do an awful lot to prevent ourselves being vulnerable to it by simply just being very, very alert. Well, yeah, well, I keep making the point, if if enough of us talk about it and enough of us are aware of it and enough people don't engage with these scam artists and pass on their details, it eventually will stop. But because they're making money out of unsuspecting people, that's what's the fuel that's that keeps the keeps this going, and they can come in so many different forms, from a text message to a phone call to an email. Yeah, absolutely. They're interacting on a wide variety of, exactly. of of different ways. So, and again, in all in all of your interactions, both by a phone or on the internet, I suppose you need to just be always really conscious of your personal information, and you know, don't give it out. Uh, in you know to anybody unless you're absolutely satisfied that the transaction is legitimate, you know. Um, And again, unsolicited callers, never ever give them anything. Just hang up and contact the legitimate agency directly, whether it be your bank, whether it be the revenue commissioners. I'm aware of cases where the guard's telephone number, the local guard station number was ringing an individual. So it could be any phone number. 
Um, so, you know, if it's unsolicited, just don't engage. Hang up yeah. and contact the person directly or the, the institution directly back. Yeah, I know I spotted a, a, a scam and we mentioned it last week purported to be from the HSC to do with COVID vaccines and That's to do right. with COVID testing and looking for somebody to pay for it. And as we all know, your COVID test and your COVID vaccine are free. The HSC will never ask you yeah. uh, to pay for it. But as you say, they'll use organisations like the HSC, like the Revenue Commissioners, like the, the bank. And of course, they try to put fear in people, particularly with those recorded messages, indeed. to prompt people to act immediately. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And, and again, right. I suppose where there's money involved, if it's looking for money, be suspicious. Don't engage. Don't give them anything. Check it out first and then consider it. And you'll find, I suppose, an awful lot of the time, 99% of the time, where it's been unsolicited, that it has been a fraudulent attempt to get money from you. So, And don't, if you do, if you are unlucky enough to get caught out, don't be embarrassed about reporting it because it's the, you, you do need to report it. I know people get embarrassed saying, I should have known better, but listen, it can happen to anyone. Listen, uh, Katrina, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. You're very welcome. Thank you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Sergeant Trina O'Mahony who is based at uh, Skibbereen at Garda Station with this week's uh, Garda File. Your pet questions, please, because Jane uh, Pickett, our resident vet, will join us in the next hour of the programme. Uh, we're going to take a break. We've news at 12 on the way and we'll take a look at some of your calls and comments coming into us. Keep them coming. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And can I say what fantastic news coming out of Tokyo where the 2020 Paralympics uh, Games are being held and we have had uh, Ireland's first gold medal and it is young Ellen Keane. She has taken gold in the 100 metre breast stroke and it is the best performance of her life. Now she has... competing in what is her uh, favourite event and she had set expectations really, really, really high when she blazed through her heat because in the heat... Uh, she had done a personal best a PB of 1 minute 21 seconds but then in the final she went 2 seconds quicker to take gold in 1 minute 19 can you imagine that she gets in the water in the heat and manages to do a personal best and then she gets into the water for the final and manages to even beat that personal best it is incredible and she had a real battle on her hands with the New Zealand swimmer you'll probably see this a little bit later Ron if you or maybe you've been watching some of the coverage live I don't know if it was shown live or not but certainly we'll get to see it later on on the news I've just seen a clip online and it's what a race she put in and she was up against this New Zealander uh, Sophie Pascoe and Sophie Pascoe I think had beaten her in the heats but and then it looked like she was going to do the same thing in the final but it was in kind of the, 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 the final length of the race kind of about midpoint that's where young Ellen Keane from Clintarf in Dublin just literally at into the New Zealanders lead in the second half of uh, the race overtaking over 25 metres to go and held on to that lead to touch home uh, first and to claim the gold. Well done. That's the first
first of our gold medals and hopefully that is the first of many medals to come back from at Tokyo in the 2020 Paralympic Games. Congratulations to Ellen uh, Kane. 1850-333-103. Let me go back to your calls and comments coming in. We were discussing the greyhound racing and this text that's in for in a school book by Folans for first years it doesn't certainly look like it's going to be withdrawn but there's a lot of criticism from the greyhound industry because all of the information contained in the text and getting the young people to talk about it is the cruelty that's involved in the greyhound industry and uh, we were discussing that in the last hour some of your commentary coming in on that one listener says Patricia didn't Barry Cowan breed his the greyhound he owned eight times and I said I don't really know enough about it let's see if I can find out if he did and lo and behold I googled Barry Cowan and greyhound and up comes an article from July of last year 2020 and it was the article reads about a decision to breed a female greyhound owned by the agriculture minister Barry Cowan eight times producing at least 35 pups has been branded as incredibly uh, reckless because as Tony Winters a greyhound owner and trainer who joined us in the last hour on the programme pointed out under the Greyhound Welfare Act of 2011 the maximum number of litters allowable for the purpose of breeding racing dogs in Ireland is six. Now a further two are permitted if certified by a veterinary practitioner that no risk to the health of the animal exists. So when Barry Cowan was asked to comment on the fact that the greyhound that he part owns, or I don't know if he owns it completely or part owns it, there it's a greyhound bitch by the name of Droopy's Wiggy. And he co-owned, co-owned the, the greyhound from 2007 to 2012, which meant the Greyhound Welfare Act would have come in in, in 2011. And when he was asked about had he bred the dog more than is actually allowed. He said compliance with the eighth mating in 2012 is reported and he said uh, then he went on to quote the welfare of greyhounds permits an eighth mating provided it's certified by a veterinary practitioner and the certification is lodged with the Irish Coursing Club so I'm assuming that he did all of uh, that. He said that the, the I don't think I think that the the last breeding of the dog, there was no, none of the pups survived, I'm sure. Uh, or Okay, three of the remaining five pups from the seventh litter died after birth with the other two being rehomed. But then in the final litter, none of the pups survived. So anyway, thank you for somebody, somebody in the know pointing that out uh, to us. Thank you for that. Councillor David McManus is a Dublin-based Councillor, he said the textbook, this Folan's textbook for first years, does not take into account recent changes in welfare regulation in greyhound racing. All greyhounds now are microchipped, and in fairness, Tony Winters was making the very same point to us. And Councillor Eileen Lynch, who is McCroom Bay, said this is an incredibly biased article on grey, the greyhound industry. A welcome debate, she said, and education on this issue, but let's make sure it's fair and that it is balanced. And I think that is the main bone of contention by everybody in the greyhound industry and people that are involved in greyhound racing they say that it's not fair that it's not balanced and you're not seeing both sides of it even though I mentioned that Folans say they are prepared to make suitable examples of good greyhound welfare part of the digital resources for teachers and students where people will have to go online but they're not going to withdraw the book the book is what the first year students will buy as part of the CPSE subject that all first years uh, do so I think it will make for interesting debates within classrooms as well because no doubt you are going to have young people and this is where 
Senator Tim Lombard is fearful of. You are going to have young people in the classroom whose families do beat greyhounds and are they going to be able to put forward the other side that there is good, there's, there's good and bad I suppose in all industries but hopefully they'll be able to put put over the side of what's good about the industry and maybe then they'll be able to go online uh, to get further information on it because that's what Folans say they are going to do. 1850 straight away when you mention scam calls what do you do? You get a load of calls in about it. Catherine says what I've done well this is good. Catherine says what she started to do when she answers the phone and she realises that it is a scam caller. She starts to speak Osgoelga. The scammer then starts to ask sorry what language are you speaking in? Do you speak English? I can just imagine the frustration of the scam artist on the other side of the line and there's our Eileen speaking completely Osgoelga. Catherine said she listens to what the person says and then answers back immediately again in Irish and then we'll add another sentence in before you know it they've gone off the phone. She said I don't get scam calls from that number again so that certainly is working for Catherine. Well done uh, Catherine. Also into us on scam calls Oh, this one, Dean Goleen, this one made me smile. Hi, uh, Patricia, I got a scam call this morning. She was on about the internet, the, my internet being slow. So I played daft and told her my nets were new and clean. Then she went on about it being a software, not the hardware. So I told her, no, my sofa was fine. The dogs love it. She was really beginning to get wound up. So I thanked her very much for calling and said, bye bye, 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 bye. Said it about 10 times in a row. It's fun winding them up, says D from Goline. And of course, the best part I always feel about winding them up is you are stopping them getting on with someone more vulnerable who may not be aware that this is a scam uh, scam call. So yeah, I, I agree with that. If you can frustrate the life out of them. And it's interesting to see that people who have done that, it's if they go on some kind of a list of don't ring this person, you're not going to get anything from them. So whether it works or not, I don't know. Hi, I'm a listener from Charleville. I'm after getting three phone calls in a matter of one minute this morning, all those bogus type of calls. Each one has the has the digits 310 in the middle of them. I block each and every one, uh, but people should watch out for calls uh, like them. I've been getting them all week, particularly with 310 number in the middle. And I've just looked at this child of a listener's phone number and lo and behold, her number starts with 310 and that's the neighbour spoofing that we have been talking about. They are deliberately targeting people and they put the same numbers in in the hope that you will trust that number. So that's all it is. 1850 When we'll be talking about animals and don't forget if you've got a question for for Jane, our resident vet, get that into us, uh, please, because she's going to be joining us after half past 12 uh, today. So get your pet questions in. I can already see some coming in by text. Keep those coming, please. But a listener said, a van just passed my house with dogs in a dog trailer out on the back of it. It's really hot weather at the moment. I think this is very cruel to have dogs in a dog trailer like that. For example, in my own house as this listener, when I walk my dog, I will only walk my dog in the evening time, particularly when we have a very hot spell of weather. And I know that's something that Jane will always advise either early in the morning or late in the evening. Now, hopefully if they are in a dog trailer like that, that they're not in it for very long, hopefully, and that it's... It would be, you know, I was going to say it'd be air conditioning, it won't be air conditioning, but there'd be vents. I mean, once the trailer is moving, you would hope there would be air blowing through it, but hopefully. I mean, most people who breed dogs, like Tony was explaining to us, they love and care for their animals and won't put their dogs to, 
through anything that's, uh, that seems unnecessarily cruel. So let's just hope anyone that has dogs in their trailers that they are looking after them. But very warm weather at the moment. Don't leave your dog inside in a car even for a very short period of time because you know yourself when you go out and get into the car, even if you've just been in the shop for a couple of minutes, if the car has been sitting in direct sunshine the heat inside in the car can just be unbelievable so bear that in mind if you're just even nipping in to get you know pint of milk in a slice pan you think oh should the dog will be fine in the car even leaving the window open a little bit it's it's not it really is not uh, safe a Kerry listener this is on Magpies I am plagued also as one of your listeners contacted you this morning about noisy magpies and annoying crows they're not hungry because of the number of households who are feeding them you can't even get a cap gun now to frighten them away because they aren't allowed to sell such items anymore small birds are constantly under attack from these annoying pests. If people didn't throw out food, the problem wouldn't exist, says A. Kerry, a listener. So if you have a lot of magpies in your area, it's to do with you or your neighbours throwing out food. Stop throwing out food, says our Kerry listener. 1850 333 103 and Mavis, I've had cause 0.87 saying their Amazon Prime account has been compromised. I don't have an Amazon Prime account, says Mavis. Also an 086 number, something to do with my PPS number. Another supposedly coming from air saying my broadband was playing up. Some are on my mobile, some are on my landline. The one about the broadband was interesting, though it came from a Belgian number says R. Mavis who's very aware that they're all scam calls 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls in particular pet questions please text WhatsApp 0862-103-103 The C103 Cork Diary With the new Explore Cork app a Cork County Council initiative the perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork this is a wonderful event that's going to happen in Clonakilty Town on this Friday at two o'clock. They're asking young people to meet there at Emmett Square. And it's get to school on your own fuel. It's a short cycle for kids to practice cycling on the streets of Clonakilty. That's a terrific plan. Well done. I don't know who's responsible for organising that, but uh, well done. If you have a young person who plans to cycle to school in Clonakilty, they're asked to meet Emmett Square this Friday, two o'clock in the afternoon. And the staff of Red Cliff Family Hub. They provide emergency accommodation to families experiencing homelessness in Cork. They're taking part in a skydive. It's not happening until the middle of September. It's in an effort to raise funds for the centre. You can contribute through their I Donate page, Red Cliff Family Hub. And Kildallery Community Development, their next drive-in bingo will be held this Friday, 8 o'clock. That's in the Creamery Yard. And the annual memorial road race to Gugambara is happening Sunday next, 29th of August, departing Tesco Car Park in Ballincollig at 11.30am. Mass in Gugambara then is at 1.30pm. Entry fee is €10. And there will be a prize, a picnic prize giving ceremony after afterwards. And please note that the 20 year rule applies. Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Thank you to one of our listeners, Mary, who sent in a gorgeous photograph of little. Uh, King Charles are they, are they cock yeah, no they're not cock are they cock or spaniels 
No, the King Charles, uh, two little dogs sitting and they have their own little pop-up tent in the shade to keep them nice and cool. That is gorgeous. Thank you for that. And don't forget today is, it, what, did, what did Ken say was International, World International Dog Day. So today is the day when we all need to be looking after our little pooches. Thank you for that. Keep your questions coming for Jane, please. Now, this is something that happened yesterday while I was off uh, for the day. But we had a couple of calls, including one came in from Frank in Bantier, who does the Lotto online on a Saturday night. And he said he always used to get an email from Lotto at about 8pm just saying what the results are and telling him to check his numbers. And then about an hour later, he'd get an email to say if he was a winner or not. But he said for the past three weeks, he's not getting that email. And he's wondering, have people, have the, the good people at Lottery headquarters stopped sending out the emails? And then there was a couple of calls in as well saying the same thing that uh, some people are saying that they're getting the emails about the win not the original email to say, you know, the lotto was taking place and these are the numbers, check your numbers. But uh, people are getting the ones to say if they've won some money, but that they were going into the promotions tab in their email box, not into the main uh, ac- uh, account. So we got on to Lotto HQ and they came back to us to tell us that it is a good point that people have pointed out and they say we have temporarily paused our out of hours results emails and we are currently reviewing the best way of communicating draw results to our players. We should be reactivating all notifications for draw results very soon. However, they say all prize winners who play online will still receive their notification about their prize directly after the draw. So that's tying in with the people who say that they got an email to say they'd won something but they didn't get the initial email that they had been sending out at one stage. So uh, yeah Lottery very much aware of it and they don't say why they temporarily paused it but they're reviewing it at the moment so if we get any further update from them we certainly will bring it uh, to you. And a couple of other calls in on the All-Ireland final Lehman Middleton says I was uh, in Dublin for the All-Ireland final and every pub Lehman said that they went into the group that he travelled with they were asked for their Covid certificate and he said he watched everybody else coming into the pub was asked the same thing. So Liam says he's a bit confused as everyone everyone in the bars were vaccinated. He said, I thought we were all safe to go out once we're all uh, vaccinated. Why are people worried and saying there was disgraceful uh, scenes with numbers spiralling out of control because Liam didn't see it? Well, you were very lucky in the places where you went that you didn't see it because the Gardaí ended up having to get involved in some of the pubs in and around Croke Park, Croke Park and asked them to close because they realised not everybody was being checked for their COVID certificate and people weren't in social distancing. So, and even if you go into anywhere for indoor dining or indoor drinks and you're asked for your COVID uh, certificate, when you're inside, you still can't be all bunched together. And that's the scenes that were, certainly any of the video footage I saw had people all on top of each other. There was no social distancing going on. And that's what that's what people are complaining about. And that's what people are giving out about. And actually somebody else was on and was on, thought it was a disgrace that the Taoiseach allowed people into Croke Park without checking their vaccination status. She reckoned, she's agreeing with Tony Houlihan, who reckoned those events should go ahead with up to 40,000. He's in he's agreement with Electric Picnic going ahead, let's be honest, Tony Houlihan is. But he says, she says it should just be for vaccinated people. She thought it was wrong to witness people at the All-Ireland final 
vaccinated people sitting beside unvaccinated people. She's also critical of the government that they're not offering free PCR testing at the grounds or even antigen testing. So she's saying if you're going to allow unvaccinated people in, then there should be some kind of a, well, they couldn't do PCR tests because they wouldn't get the results back in time. But antigen testing, I think, is 15 minutes. But PCR, you'd have to have done it the day before. But as I mentioned, uh, Tony Houlihan has come out and says that if any of these events and the ones we know are going ahead because we've an All-Ireland football final on the 11th of September. We have matches going ahead this weekend that's going to have tens of thousands of people at it. He's saying that those events should go ahead but only for the vaccinated people. Stephen Donnelly came out yesterday and saying no plans to change that particular ruling because they are outdoor events. And actually I saw somewhere else, I was reading up on this yesterday to see would they change it particularly for the next All-Ireland final. They'd have to change the legislation because the legislation that they put in place which allows owners of bars to ask you are you vaccinated there's specific legislation covering that whereas for outdoor events there isn't such legislation in place so it would it would need mean, mean that legislation would have to change as well and there's certainly there's no indication that they're going to do that 1850 and a regular listener says Trish on the scam calls I bought myself a whistle and I blow it down the phone as soon as I realise that it is a scam caller. Wow, it has worked for me, Trish. I haven't had a call in ages. <laughs> that was the old one. That was one of the first suggestions. I didn't know people are still doing that. Well done. So get yourself like a little a referee's whistle because if you blow that into the receiver, you'll blow the ears off the person on the other side uh, for sure. So regular listeners saying it has worked for them. Well done. 1850 We're going to take a break. We have Jane Pickett, our resident vet, joining us. You can text her WhatsApp your questions please to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, uh, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. You're very welcome on International Dog Day. And we've been inundated with people uh, WhatsApping us the most gorgeous pictures of uh, their dogs. <laughs> uh, and actually, when uh, when I was think- talking about this this morning with Ken started on the breakfast show uh, this morning, I mentioned to him that I read a piece ab- about dog owners needing to be careful about plants that they have in their gardens. And this is to do with dogs that have a tendency to dig up gardens. I wasn't aware mm-hmm. that if dogs eat their saying daffodil bulbs and tulip bulbs, that they can be highly toxic to dogs and cause nausea, vomiting, diarrhoea, dermatitis and can even be fatal. Yeah, so there are a number of different garden plants that can cause quite a lot of problems, but bulbs are, I suppose, the most commonly noted one because they're obviously something that they can pick out of the ground and chew and ingest a lot easier than, let's say, pulling up a plant and eating the leaves. And they seem to be far more enticed to chew on the bulbs than they would to be on a larger part of the plant. Um, Many different types of bulbs are toxic. Um, it's always best to do a little check of what you have in the garden, particularly if you have a new pet. Some of the older pets might be kind of quite used to the garden and not pay much attention, particularly if you have a younger dog, a pup or any dog that's prone to digging. It's really important to check um, the bulbs that you're planting. 
um, are not toxic and, and just make sure that, you know, they're not going to be easily accessible. So potentially putting them behind um, a little bit of fencing or something until they're well bedded into the ground is usually a good thing to do. Lots of different plants, not even just bulbs, things like hostas can be toxic. Um, a lot of the time it's just a case that, you know, we may have toxic plants in our garden, but most dogs and cats won't have a drive to go near them. Um, so it's really a balancing act. We all want to have beautiful gardens, but we want to keep our pets as safe as possible. But I suppose not, let's say, on the dog front, but on the cat front. One, one toxicity that we see really, really frequently is lily toxicity in cats. Um, so cats are exceptionally sensitive. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, to the little stamens, so the little um, kind of dusty parts um, of lilies, and they're highly toxic. They can cause acute kidney failure and death in many cases. So that's a biggie that we see quite frequently to be aware of. Um, yeah, but so be careful if you've got if you get a bouquet of flowers because you'll often have those beautiful mm-hmm. lilies because there's gorgeous scent in them. Uh, but if you get them on your clothes, you'll know the mess it makes uh, for sure. Okay, let's Indeed. get straight into uh, questions then. Uh, a listener actually sent in a picture uh, for you of her little dog. Nip is the dog's name. Small little dog, uh, fluffy looking, bit of a terrier, I'd say, bit of a bee a mixture. Okay. It's gorgeous looking dog. Anyway, uh, does she know where I can get a good pair of shoes or socks? Merciful hour. I have nothing left after she's a scamp, but you have to love her all the same. So this is a dog who is <laughs> incessantly chewing up socks and shoes. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a disaster waiting to happen. That's what that is. Um, It's really frustrating for pet owners, I think. You can buy them all the toys in the world sometimes and they'll still just want to go after the shoes and the socks and cause destruction all around them. But most scarily, they can cause quite severe blockages of the intestine. So socks are one of the most common things that we would remove from a dog's guts, having caused a blockage. Um, So they will require quite serious surgery to remove in many cases. Um, sometimes you might get very lucky and they might pass through and come out the other end but um, that would that would be in the minority of cases parts of shoes are a big concern as well particularly the rubber on the soles can actually 
come off in big fragments and dogs seem to have a great talent for swallowing large chunks of it whole and equally they can cause massive obstructions and blockages that we need to go in after and relieve with surgery. Um, my best advice in this situation is try and keep everything away from the dog as best you can. I know in a home environment that's really, really hard. Um, but maybe just have a, a set cupboard where you pop things that they can't get at so easily. But what I would say is they're probably looking for mental stimulation as well. So if you think about socks and shoes, they probably smell a little bit because they've been on your feet. So that's kind of fulfilling one of their needs is sniffing and smelling and, you know, analyzing the scent with those incredible noses that they have. And they're also kind of investing in chewing. So that's another kind of bit of mental stimulation for them, playing with the sock, playing with the, the shoe. So you can try and replace those things with, with other things. So you can use toys like stuffable toys as Kongs, as Westfall, there's many on the market, but they kind of fulfill the same kind of mental needs that they have. So you can put really smelly things in there sometimes, a little bits of pate or cream cheese along with some of their normal nuts. Just be a little bit careful not to not to overdo it on, let's say, the cheesy pate or peanut butter side of things because that can cause tummy upsets. So try to stick mainly to what they've normally eat or something bland like a little bit of chicken or some of their normal treats and stuff that into that um, so they'll get the idea of chewing and trying to get at the treat and they'll also have that kind of scent need fulfilled by sniffing at the really strong smells so that would be the best thing I would try okay. and stimulate them off the shoes and socks yeah. and onto that instead and here's an interesting one hi Patricia question for Jane please I live in a row of terraced houses in a village there's a neighbourhood cat nobody seems to know who owns the cat but it comes into all of our houses and we all feed it it's really a lovely friendly little cat Last weekend, I saw the cat stroll through my backyard with a rat in its mouth. Thankfully, it headed off to the neighbours with it instead of leaving it with me. But I'm dreading the day that I get left a similar gift. Is there anything I can do to discourage the cat from dropping something at my door? Should I feed it more or stop feeding it entirely? Thanking you for your help. And this is just in the instinct of the cat, isn't it? It really very much is. And I I think... Although none of us like to see little creatures turning up on our, our doorsteps having been um, having been eaten by a cat, you should actually be very flattered because um, generally cats will bring kind of offerings as um, a kind of gratitude. So they usually bring back prey and leave it to be viewed by their owner because it's kind of like, oh, look what I did. Are you proud of me? Um, so you should kind of be flattered if they do that, but yeah. it's not pleasant for anyone. So the best way of really preventing it is if you want if you want the cat to call around less and see you less as a kind of its owner and you know somebody to bring prey to for approval, then you should probably stop feeding it. But I suppose nobody wants to see the cat go hungry. I suppose it's really dependent on how confident you are that many of your neighbours are giving it nice snacks or, or how confident you might be that it has an owner and it might just be actually doing the rounds to eat all of the food from everybody's house, which is a very common occurrence. Absolutely. Suppose, Absolutely. Yeah, it discouraging, is. discouraging. Yeah. The so just, yeah. Your house would yeah. Be. And and then you you'll you lose the joy of having that lovely friendly cat called yeah. to visit. So you have to you have to weigh That's that up as well. You have to weigh that up as well. Okay, mm-hmm. hi uh, Jane. I have a four-year-old poodle cross who is scratching under her jaw, scratching very hard a lot of the time, and at her paws. Is there anything I can get for her without taking her to the vet? Okay, if it was just scratching under the chin. Sometimes it can be skin. Sometimes it can be an indication of mouth pain or dental pain. Um, Cats and dogs will sometimes scrape their chin off the floor if they're uncomfortable, but not always. 
but if your dog is also chewing at the paws it's more indicative that it may be a skin problem that's causing this itching and scratching i think we just really have to take it back to the fact of if you've seen your dog you know itching and scratching at its chin scratching at the paws it, it's an indication that it's distressed and uncomfortable and distress and being uncomfortable is definitely warrants a visit to the vet um, I suppose the things you can do without visiting our vet are making sure that its um, parasite control is up to date. But to be honest with you, this dog sounds like it's in a little bit of distress, a little bit of discomfort and waiting for the parasite control to take effect to, to find that, you know, there might be some other underlying cause. They don't scratch for no, for quite a while. they don't scratch for no known reason. There's always a reason behind exactly. scratching. Yeah, there's yeah. always a reason. So I'd, I'd visit your vet, I, I really yeah. would. Yeah, this is from Elisa says, hi Jane, would neutering my female cat change her quirky personality she almost has her own language and acts like a dog thank you says Lisa does neutering <laughs> change the personality of a cat no it doesn't no. Um, I would say in the vast majority of cases they'll probably be exactly the same once they recover from the operation I suppose what people worry about generally with um, neutering um, females but it's mainly males I suppose with males in particular because we're um, removing their testicles we're reducing their testosterone level so they are a little bit less boisterous but you know that doesn't really change their personality and it has massive health benefits so for boys castration can reduce their risk of prostate disease it can eliminate the risk of testicular cancer they wander less looking for the ladies for the ladies on the other side of it, in dogs, it massively reduces their risk of breast cancer and, uh, let's say, a very serious womb infection called pyometra. Similarly, in cats, um, it reduces their risk of, of breast cancer inf- infections of the womb. But it also, the real biggie here is it prevents unwanted pregnancy. Mm. And we all have a role to play in reducing the feral cat population out there because one cat um, and all of their progeny as as the weeks and months tick by they'll all have multiple litters of kittens a year and one cat can be the culprit for hundreds of thousands of unwanted kittens so it's really the responsible choice to make make sure you have a chat with your vet about you know their their surgical protocols providing pain relief what they expect in the recovery period um, and choose a vet that suits you and provides a high level of care but it is definitely a really really good responsible choice and to it's make, a re- and it really successful thing to do as well I, I would exactly go 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 Lisa uh, Eileen my my dog a retriever female eight years of age has a small corn on her foot on, it's on the side of the foot not the pad she's actually a bit lame with it the vet suggested that I bathe okay. it with Epsom salts but would Jane have any other recommendations Oh, if it's on the side of the pad rather than on the pad itself, um, I would be a little bit concerned. It may not actually be a corn um, as such, and that it might be either something stuck there or another lump or bump that needs attention. I think if you haven't already attended the vet with the lump or bump, it would be best to, particularly if it's persisting. Um, I think the recommendation of uh, Epsom salts is, is not a bad idea, but it really just it needs to be seen by a vet before, let's say, recommending that, um, because it might be that we're missing something that might require attention in a different way, whether that be antibiotics or a sampling to check a lump and bump. It's best to discuss this one with your vet, and if it's not resolving, just make sure you arrange an appointment. Okay, uh, Jane in Mallow has a cat that's off its uh, food. Jane initially thought that it was something wrong with the teeth, that the mouth was sore because she seems to say the cat chipped a tooth, um, but is off the foods, took it to the vet. The vet did bloods, but nothing showed up in the bloods. What else could be going wrong? Would you be worried about a cat who's off its food? 
Yeah, I think I would. Well done for attending the vet. And I think the taking bloods is, is certainly one of my first protocols when I have a cat that's inappetent. Um, but it does sound like if it's not resolving, even if there was nothing on the bloods, you need to visit your vet again to do a little bit more digging. Your vet will need to run further diagnostics, most likely, whether that be um, taking some images of um, the chest and belly, either with x-ray or ultrasound potentially, or even running more blood tests. Um, it really depends on what kind of panels have been run thus far. But I would say that a cat that's inappetent is really quite unwell. It takes a huge amount for a cat to want to stop eating because their drive to kind of historically, and I suppose um, on their base instincts to eat to survive is so, so strong that they have to feel really, really unwell before they'll stop eating. So it's definitely something that I'd be concerned about. So I, I think this really warrants a second trip to the vet and just tell them what your concerns are. And I'm sure they'll be more than happy to progress things further. Okay, and Mary in Bantry has a year and a half old male terrier, not neutered, who has started to have mini fits. They're like seizures. They last about two minutes. What would be causing that? Okay, in a young dog, it can be a number of things. If they're otherwise well in between the episodes, um, it can be, I suppose, the doggy version of epilepsy. So there's no real underlying cause. But there are a number of seizures that need to be ruled out. And certainly if it's having frequent seizures lasting two minutes, it may well need medication. And that's something that will need to be discussed at great length with your vet. This is the kind of thing that taking a video of these episodes really, really helps because when you attend your vet, you can show them a video of the episode and actually seizures can come in many different forms, but they also cross over with faints, which are sometimes to do with the heart and not the brain. So there's quite a lot of gray area, but bringing a video of these episodes to your vet can actually really help us more than telling us what happens can, because sometimes seeing it in the flesh is, is the best thing to help us um, start the diagnostic protocol and take it further. But I think this definitely warrants attention and it may well warrant medication. And and if it was, say, epilepsy, is that very treatable in a dog? It can be. So in young dogs, a lot of the time there is what we call idiopathic epilepsy, which that means that there's no underlying cause found. Now, we need to rule out the underlying causes that are possible, obviously, before we make that diagnosis. But it is, in many cases, very, very treatable. Every dog and every dog's seizures are a little bit different, so different combinations of medication might be required. But I have many, many patients on my books that lead a really great quality of life that will be epileptic. Um, and they just take their medication. We keep a very close eye on them. They have occasional blood tests. And I suppose the important thing is that little dog doesn't know that they're unwell um, and their owners are managing it well so that their dog has a, a great quality of life. So it's definitely worth looking into and getting attention for. OK, and actually the listener who had sent in the gorgeous picture of Nip, who's eating all the shoes and the, and the socks, mm -hmm. it's a Yorkie Bichon freeze mix. It's oh, beautiful. Lovely. She's absolutely lovely. gorgeous. Uh, OK, and uh, OK, that's where we leave it. Uh, yeah, we're out on time, unfortunately. Listen, Jane, have a great week and uh, we'll talk to you next Thursday. You too. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you for that. Bye bye. That is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street uh, Veterinary uh, Group. Uh, OK, um, I think we got through all of the questions we did this week, so so we're doing well. Uh, OK, Jane will be back with us again next Thursday. If you have a question, uh, you can get it in to us. Somebody's wondering about visiting at the Mercy Hospital in Cork has been stopped because she's got an elderly relative uh, suffering from dementia and she wants to get to see 
it, I would suggest that you contact the hospital directly because all of the hospitals seem to have different rules. What might be visiting one day mightn't be for another day. So I would suggest I've just checked on their website, but I can't see anything on their website. I'd put a call through directly to the Mercy Hospital and explain your case and who you want to visit to see if you'll be allowed in. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We're back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock. And I'm Trish Messenger. Good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.